One of my favorite day ones of the entire MLB draft was the Arizona Diamondbacks. They got the consensus best player on the board, Drew Jones, at number two. They got Landon Sims, who before injury was considered to be one of the best college pitchers in the competitive balance round, and Ivan Melendez, statistically the best college hitter in the second. Before the Drew Jones shoulder injury, I hopped on Locked on Diamondbacks with Millard Thomas to talk all about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The best player in the draft, so without further ado, let's bring Lindsey Crosby on. Let me take my name away. Lindsey, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, I am I am good. I am also tired. This is the busiest part of the like this is our stretch run right here. This is our Super Bowl wrapped in with our Nathan of 500 and our like all in one. Heading into the draft, Drew Jones, just consensus, number one guy, everything, athletic, generational talent. Generational. Doesn't matter what list you looked at, he was number one. But draft day, different scenario. Jackson Holiday, who probably isn't a bad pick, another son of a former major league great, but when you see Drew Jones, number one, on all these lists, and then he falls to number two, fall, why did he not go number one? What did the Orioles see in Jackson Holiday to take him over Drew Jones? So it's a scenario where, honestly, I don't, I'm you know, not 100% sure. I mean, it's something where you know that Jackson Holiday's a good hitter. I think that when you get to locked into a small number of prospects for a long time, you start to really take the minuscule differences in their games and blow them up into much bigger things than they actually are. And it was something where Jackson Holiday was seen as having a little bit less swing and miss than Drew Jones did. Drew Jones doesn't have a lot of swing and miss, but Mm -hmm. it's something where you knew, and we've known for months, that the Orioles were down to three or four maybe five players total in consideration for that number one pick and we all just started picking every player apart and finding every flaw and magnifying every flaw and something in there i don't know if it was the money i don't know like what it may have been but something in there made the orioles think jackson holiday is a better fit for us than drew jones i wanted drew jones like sorry i wanted the orioles to finally take the consensus best player at their pick because they've always gone for the uh, the underslot college guys to save money for later, and they finally go have the chance to get the best player in the draft, the generational talent that's on all the lists, and they pass over him for a, another kid who's really good, but not the best player in the draft. I didn't get it. I didn't understand why. Um, but it's the think- Diamondbacks. It pays off for the Diamondbacks. Do you think Holiday would have gone number two or still been in like that top three mix? Like, was he even in consideration for that number one? Yeah, the the consensus number one, uh, like the top tier of guys was Drew Jones, Jackson Holiday, Elijah Green as the the uh, super toolsy guys. Then Tamar Johnson, the the second baseman who went to the Pirates at four, considered to have one of the best prep hit uh, hit tools in a decade, as well as Brooks Lee from Cal Poly. That was kind of like. The, the, the top tier of five guys that the Orioles were looking at. I do think that either Holiday or Green would have been the pick at two. Green has a little bit more risk, a little bit more swing and miss in his game and things like that. Um, so it kind of depends. Oh, and 
we talk about you don't pay attention to position in the first round, but um, there are a you know a, a a lot of outfielders in this system already. So the 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 impetus to go take a stud infielder versus another outfielder would have been there. So who knows if it would have been Jackson Holiday or Elijah Green? I would have rather it had been Holiday than Green if it was me picking for the Diamondbacks, but I much rather would have them have Drew Jones. Yeah, that's interesting because they obviously selected Drew Jones. I think they had to because he's the best player. But I wonder if it was Holiday or Green at number two who they would have selected because, like you said, they're pretty loaded already in the outfield. But they did mm-hmm. just select Jordan Lawler last year. And if they think he's really the shortstop of the future, then it would have been a pretty interesting conversation. But do you think the Orioles did like, do you see Jackson Holiday as maybe like a safer prospect than Drew Jones because of the less swing and miss? Or do you see him like why like is there any other reason than that like i don't know i'm searching i'm grasping for straws yeah. here Lindsay. i mean they're both kids big leaguers they've got great baseball iq they've got both got plus plus run times i mean it's really it's really semantics and so i think probably it ultimately comes down to either a money thing or a we want an infielder versus an outfielder and i don't think you can go wrong with either player but it's just it's such an odd such an odd decision to make. And again, not one I would have done. I don't see either guy as being incredibly risky. I think those two were the consensus best two guys for a reason. Um, again, I think it just came, it comes down to at the end of the day, personal preference. Do you want an infielder or an outfielder? And I guess they wanted an infielder, which, and I can see that the Orioles don't have a ton of true shortstops in their system. Uh, again, we always talk about don't do positional need in the first mm-hmm. round, but I understand if you have some outfielders, you don't have any true shortstops who you're confident in, go get the second best player in the draft who is a very talented shortstop and should be a no-doubt shortstop, should stick. I get it. Can't say I'd have done it, but I get it. Uh, well, too bad for the Orioles. They didn't get the best player in the class. So actually break down to me, Lindsay, as someone who doesn't watch high school tape, I'm sure that's, you know, you're probably doing a little bit more of that than me. I, I you know, I didn't watch too much Drew Jones. I, I still haven't watched a ton of Drew Jones. I'm supposed to get some highlights sent over to me pretty soon. I'll, you know, go through that. I'll comb through that, post it on Twitter or whatever. But explain to me why this kid was considered such a generational talent. What is it in his school, uh, in his skill set that made him the consensus number one guy heading into the draft? Okay, so a couple things is one, obviously premium defensive position. You're looking at center field, looking at shortstop uh, for something like that. So plays what's considered to be the best defensive player in this draft, not just the best defensive outfielder, not just best defensive high schooler, best defensive player in the draft, which makes sense. His father could be argued as one of the best defensive center fielders of all time. Mm-hmm. So I get it. What was it like? Uh, ten gold gloves or something like that? I, th- I think it, yeah, ten, ten gold gloves for his father probably should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm sure he he might get there eventually. Um, <laughs> what's like arm strength? What's considered to be either plus or plus plus? So either a sixty grade or a seventy grade. One of the strongest arms in the draft as far as position players go. Uh, and then something where very just very loud tools, very very fast. One of the fastest runners in the draft very good with the reads, the routes, the reactions, the things we always talk about when it comes to a, to a defender, how quickly can they recognize what the ball is doing and put themselves in the proper position to make the play. Um, you know, very, very good at that, which again, makes sense based on who his dad was. I do think that there's a little bit of question about his swing as well as where his power is going to end up. He's six four, like 170. He was 18 years old. He he mm-hmm. has some physical development left to do. He'll put on some muscle. Um, we see. I 
I think right now it's probably above average raw power. We have it come finishing out as above average game power versus plus. Like we're not looking at him being a 40 home run guy. We're talking about him hitting 20 to 25 home runs, but as one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball. So more than enough to stick at center field. And then his swing isn't the prototypical swing that you would want to see. He sometimes would get out of sync upper like upper body to lower body, which again, he's 18 years old. Things like that happen. Uh, it's it's not the traditional looking swing because it's it's his swing. He's figured out what works for him. I'm sure his dad's taught him quite a bit. And so conventional scouts sometimes look down on those guys that don't hit all the prototypes. You know, a pitcher who's too short or um, you know, a, a hitter whose swing doesn't look like the textbook. Kevin Parada of Georgia Tech is a guy who his swing doesn't look prototypical, but it's a really good swing. It works for him, obviously. Drew Jones, his swing isn't always prototypical, but it works for him. So I think there's that's probably why he got dropped down. But at the end of the day, above average power, uh, plus hitter, one of the best arms of a defender in the draft, the best defender in the draft, one of the fastest players in the draft. That's why he is the best player in the draft. That's why he's number two pick. And he's probably going to go on to have the most war of anybody in this draft class if I had to put money on it right now. Yeah, and I don't even think I care about you know the fluidity of his swings. I just care yeah. about the results. I mean, I look at the Greek god walks. I look at guys like Giancarlo Stan. Like those guys got weird stances, weird swings, and those guys were. But it works. Yeah, it works as long as it works. Like that's baseball's a results based business. If you're hitting mm-hmm. 300 and putting up numbers, like it really doesn't matter um, what your swing is or how you're doing it. But just but like there the, are teams where that genuinely matters in their scouting yeah. departments. There are teams that still have that hangup. The Nationals are kind of infamous for this, and so when you're looking at at trade packages for Juan Soto, you have to keep in mind what they want. And they're very much a traditional scout team. They want the guy that you see him, you're like, oh, that's a ball player. He looks like a ball player. He swings like a ball player. He throws like, like you want the prototypical guy. There's teams still kind of stuck in that mindset. And I think it's not a coincidence that the Nationals are stuck in that mindset. They're also stuck in the bottom of the National League East. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Blue Nile. Whether you're ready to pop the question, or you're celebrating a milestone moment. Find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. You can build the engagement ring of her dreams. Blue Nile has simple online tools to let you choose the diamond shape, size, and clarity, as well as setting style. And then Blue Nile's bench jewelers will handcraft her perfect engagement ring. Each ring is one of a kind. Or if you want to celebrate life's special moments with fine jewelry, but you're having trouble choosing... Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7, available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift at every budget. So make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com, and going on now is the Blue Nile Anniversary Sale. Save up 40% on classic fine jewelry pieces and 25% on engagement ring settings. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever piece. Go to BlueNile.com today. Just a a weird, quick side tangent, weird question. Do you think, do you foresee the draft moving forward in the future, maybe being dominated more by 
um, second generation baseball players? Because I feel like the last few drafts, when you look at the Jack Leiters, the uh, you look at the Drew Jones, the Jackson Holidays, I feel like a lot of the guys at the top of the drafts are second generation players. And I wonder now that we're going to see more of these guys coming in the Vlag Road Juniors. Do you think, um, like, can you tell? There's that there's like a difference when you watch these guys who are like the sons of athletes versus, you know, guys who aren't it. So I think and I I actually saw some some research about this recently. Somebody actually went and kind of did a paper on some of this stuff. And the thought process is there is a correlation between the the athletic components of the father and the son. And so you have more information about the son's likely physical outcomes based on what their father did. And then as you get farther along and training gets more advanced and players are in general more prepared than they were 20 years ago, uh, the small things are what makes the difference between players. And those players like a Drew Jones, like a Jackson Holiday, who grow up around the game, who are in major league clubhouses at a young age, they typically pick up a lot of the intangible stuff that helps separate them from a t- similarly talented player who wasn't in that baseball environment for as long. So Elijah Green, his dad was an NFL tight end. You can kind of see that in him, in the height, in the power, in the speed. But baseball instinct-wise, he wasn't in a baseball environment at the age of two. He was in an NFL locker room. And so it's a little bit of a different background and therefore it's a little bit of a different knowledge of the game and understanding deep understanding of baseball i think i i kind of think that's why you see more athletes of ball players drafted so high it's because they have that little bit of an edge that sets them apart because they've been around the game so long yeah i think the intangible thing is the biggest thing you bring up because i think you're going to see a lot of mannerisms from drew jones that remind you of his father i think we see that a lot with second generation players you're going to see those overlays where drew mm-hmm. jones is going to have some swing and then they're going to show his father swing on the right side and be like man that's like the same ball player but i think what you said from the intangibles is probably the biggest thing what they see with these second generation athletes just because they're around the game so much growing up i just think they have a different level of maturity as well when they're entering the game like someone like patrick mahomes like he's someone that grew up mm-hmm. around the game and i just think you see that there's a different maturity level when these guys come in as opposed to guys who might not be um second generation athletes but back on drew jones um i saw some things um some comps maybe to bryce harper you know that would be phenomenal scenario if he turns into bryce harper i want to hear the lindsey crosby comp who do you think drew jones could be on the major league level oh that's tough um i would say with a little bit less power like it it, it sounds it sounds like a cop-out almost Uh a little bit less power Watching him play, like watching him field fly balls, watching him run the bases, watching him hit, reminds me a lot of watching his dad. I'm cop out. I'm calling it Lindsay. And so, like, I see a lot of the Andrew Jones defense in his game. I don't know if he'll have the peak of, you know, top three defensive center fielder of all time, but he looks a lot like it. Offensively, I think the Bryce Harbor comp is a good one. Um, he's got the size. I don't quite think he'll hit for as much power as Bryce Harper does. That's why I'm a little bit hesitant there. I think he's going to be a 20 to 25 home run guy versus a 35 home run guy. Um, but he definitely has the potential to get there. He has the frame. He can fill out and do that. I would just be concerned about what happened to his dad. We're around age 26, 27. His dad started to slow down because he put on size trying to hit for more power. So 
that's why I'm a little hesitant to kind of push that same thing onto him. Um, I like the Bryce Harper comp for the most part. I do think his dad's a pretty decent comp, though, as far as um, what he's going to look like playing effortless defense in center field, consistent hitting, um, incredible speed, incredible arm. Yeah, I think the way he fills out is going to be probably one of the biggest things I watch from him because, like you said, mm-hmm. six four, but only 170. Like, Lindsay, I just weighed myself at the gym today. I checked in at 180. So if I got 10 pounds on Drew Jones but five inches shorter, like my man needs to eat a couple built Bars probably and put on <laughs> some weights because we, we need this man to bulk up. Now, we don't want him to get too big. We still want that speed component, but he's able yeah. to do that, like that 30-30 kind of a guy. Like, that's not uh, something the D-backs really have on their roster currently, but maybe by the time Drew Jones uh, gets elevated, um, the D-backs will have a couple of those guys. But I did want to ask you, because comparing him to Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper drafted, then basically in a year, he makes it to the major league level. How quickly, if he is this generational guy, how quickly can Drew Jones, despite being only 18 years old when he's drafted, how quickly do you think he can make it to the major league level? Because I think Harper made it by the time he was 19. Yeah, I see him as a, depending on where the assignment is this year. Does he go into a ball? Does he go to rookie ball? What does he do this year? I see him as two years. I think he could be at the major league level. Um, Now it's something where his dad made it at age 19. I think his dad also got into, got into professional baseball earlier because he was an international uh, free agent. So uh, I, I think the two year timeframe is good. Now where that falls in the season, whether it's early in the season, late in the season, I'm not quite sure. Uh, obviously provided he stays healthy, but I think two years is reasonable simply because it takes a little bit longer now because we know so much about these players already. I've already seen scouting reports about um, different players in the draft and how to attack them like from the pitching perspective and where the holes in their swing are. Stuff that even just a decade ago, we didn't have that from prep players yet. And so I think the adjustment period's a little bit longer than Bryce Harper had, but not much longer. I do think it's a two-year and he's there. And then remind me, do these guys go to like the rookie ball right after the draft? Like in a couple of weeks, can I see Drew Jones playing? So it's it, it's up to the teams. What a lot of them will do is they'll bring them in, depending on how long their spring season was, whether it was college or pro, they'll either give them the rest of the summer off or they'll put them in rookie ball. Um, if they give them the summer off, they typically hold them off into in, into instructional league in the fall, the Arizona Fall League, something like that. Um, but... Either way, they're probably going to be at the facility doing extended spring training, um, working with some of the rookie-level hitters, even if they're not playing in games yet. Um, So like a lot of players flew out uh, on Monday or on Tuesday or or on Wednesday to go out and to meet their teams for the first time, and they're going to start working right away. Even if they don't get any games, they'll be at the facilities, they'll be in drills, they'll be in the cages. But there's a good chance you see a guy like a Drew Jones pretty quickly in rookie ball this year if they're smart. They put him in in rookie ball and if he does well which i expect he will they go ahead and give him a cup of coffee and a ball this year yeah so that didn't happen quick update as of tuesday night july 26 drew jones suffered suffered a shoulder injury taking batting practice not quite sure if they need surgery yet he's going to be he's he's not going to play this year they've already said that they're waiting to see the severity of the injury but weirdly this makes him the third diamondbacks top draft pick to have a shoulder injury in his first season, like in the immediate time after the draft. I don't know what's in the water in Arizona. 
Yeah, I hope we get a little, at least a little glimpse or a taste of Drew Jones. Because last year, Jordan Lawler, as soon as he got to rookie ball, he got like hurt in his first or second game mm-hmm. during his shoulder. So he didn't get to see much of the season by Lawler. But look, he had a great bounce back season in his real first year in Major League Baseball. So great to see that from Lawler. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your betting needs. You can get all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can get reviews and news of every single league, Major League Baseball, obviously, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Um, they can, BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information, live in-game betting, scores, and even non-game bets. Right now, there are odds up for the next team if Juan Soto gets traded. Um, as of Tuesday night, the San Diego Padres are 2-1 to one favorites to land Juan Soto, followed by the Los Angeles Dodgers at 13-4, to four, the St. Louis Cardinals at 7-2, to two, the New York Mets at 5-1. to one. You can... Um, we'll talk all about that and everything else on the Locked On MLB trade show next Tuesday. We'll be going live to recap um, the trade deadline, who moves, who doesn't move. So stay tuned to Locked On MLB, Locked On MLB Prospects, and your favorite team's show to break down all of the moves from the trade deadline. And until then, head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening in the game of baseball because bet online is where the game starts let's say drew jones gets elevated to the major league level we got drew jones we got dalton varsho we got alec thomas we got corbin carroll all in the major leagues but that's basically four outfielders so who would you say is the odd man out in that group or do we just put someone at the dh role what happens what would you do Lindsay? i think varsho is the odd man out he's playing catcher um you know, and I know Carson Kelly's there right now, but I just, for sake of, you know, for sake of conversation, mm-hmm. I think that of those four, Varsho's definitely the one out. Um, all three, these, the other three guys, they're all center fielders. I mean, Alec Thomas, Corbin Carroll, um, Drew Jones are all center fielders. And I've actually gone back and forth and back and forth on what I think the proper defensive alignment for this team would be. And I think I finally figured it out. That's so it. because of the arm, Alec Thomas is in left. Mm, okay. okay. Um, Drew Jones, center field, and Corbin Carroll with the cannon that he has is in right field. And it's something where your center fielder has to run more. And this is something that the Braves made a big point about last year with Ronald Acuna. They said, we're not going to put Ronald Acuna in center field because he has so much more running to do because you're running left and right to back up both sides. And Carroll, being a little bit of a shorter guy compared to the taller Drew Jones, I feel like let's move Corbin Carroll to right. Let's save the wear and tear on his body and let him use that cannon while Drew Jones plays center field. Because obviously, he has the build for it. He's able to do it. Now, I could also see the Diamondbacks saying, if we think Drew Jones is going to slow down like his dad did, we'll just start off with Corbin Carroll in center and take the bigger dude and put him in right to begin with. I can see both those scenarios. But if it's me, and I'm giving you the best defensive lineman for one game, I'm putting Carroll in right, I'm putting Drew Jones in center, and I'm putting Alex Thomas in left. Yeah, and I'm going to have to see how they play out because Alex Thomas in center field this season, he just looks freaking phenomenal. Very good. 
But with his instincts and just like his jump to the ball, like that first reaction time he has, has been insane. So if you're saying like he might be like the third best outfielder potentially in that group with Carroll and Drew Jones, like I, I don't know how you're going to get a ball into a gap against that team. I genuinely think that when all three guys are up, that is the best outfield in baseball. And that is probably one of the best outfields in baseball in modern baseball history. That is that is the the peak of the potential of this group. I mean, like, it sounds hyperbolic, but name me a better outfield in modern baseball than those three players if they all hit the projections that we expect. Here's what I have for you. Here's, here's my proposal for the roster. Okay, 2026, you've got Thomas in left, you've got Drew Jones in center, you've got um, uh, Carroll in right. Kettle Marte is your second baseman. Kevin Parada... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not Kevin Prada. I'm not, not Kevin Prada. Ivan Melendez. We don't have a part of it. Ivan Melendez is your first baseman. Okay. Christian Walker, who is in his final year of arbitration, um, of arbitration is your DH. Oh. Dalton Varsho is your full-time catcher. Kettle Marte, obviously, still at second base. Um, shortstop, I believe we've talked about the shortstop already. We know who that's going to be. Yeah. Josh Rojas is in his final year of arbitration eligibility in 2026. So if you can find like, so he can play third or preferably you find some sort of upgrade. Not that I think Rojas is great, but you mm -hmm. find some sort of upgrade and he's your utility man that gives people a day off and can play just about anywhere, but center field. I think that is a contending for the division and has you in the running for a World Series lineup right there. Yeah, I yeah, I think that that lineup I think is could be freaking phenomenal because also someone like Rojas, I mean, he like you say upgrade, like I just don't know with Rojas because he's just blown away my expectations. Like he's just gotten better mm -hmm. every single season. He's been really good this year because he was basically the throwing piece in that Zach Ranky trade. And he's been the best prospect so far from that deal. So I'm like, I don't really want to put a ceiling on Josh Rojas just yet, just because he keeps getting better. And if it comes to the point where he's like your super utility guy, like we've seen Rojas play every position in the infield, basically outfield. Yeah. Like he definitely could do that and be like, maybe like a Ben Zobris type or something like that. And Ben Zobris was like a borderline all-star as well. So I think that could still be a pretty good scenario for Rojas, mm -hmm. but if he's the third baseman of the future, like that's just a straight up win for the D-backs considering the other three prospects you got back in the, in the Zachary trade just hasn't worked out. But do you actually look at the D-backs as maybe potentially having the best young core in baseball the next five years, or are there any other teams that you actually like better than the D-backs right now after naming those five, six right. guys that you brought up? So, so position players, I definitely think that's one of the better cores in baseball right there. I, I do have to look at, and it's not as it's not as robust, and so they're definitely a tier behind, but I think about some of the guys the Royals have coming up right now with Bobby Witt and Benny Pascantino and Melendez. Uh, I'm thinking about the Orioles with, with Rutschman and Henderson and you know some of those guys, but I feel like the Diamondbacks, more so than one of those other teams, have the depth all the way around the diamond, whether it's infield, whether it's outfield, whether it's catching. I mean, you'll have Kelly and, and Varsho both under team control still in 26. The one thing that I am concerned about is you'll be outside of the window of a lot of these pitchers. You'll either have to have already paid them or you'll be waiting for the next wave of pitchers to come up. And so, I mean, there's guys in the system. Don't get me wrong. There are pitchers in the system that I like, but I worry about the like how the pitchers ETAs line up with these with this core position players. And I think it's really easy to go out, spend a little bit of money on a couple ace pitchers, develop guys around them, and have a World Series contending roster in 2026.
Yeah, I think that's the idea I'm coming around to. You just might have to go out there and just actually spend money on pitchers and don't spend $200 million on one guy. Like, go out there and get a couple guys like a Taiwan Walker and someone else who you had in your rotation at one point. You've shown that you don't have to spend a ton of money because you have a pitching coach who can take guys and develop them into fantastic ballplayers. You don't have to spend a ton of money on guys. You can go find guys with the traits that you like that'll work well in the dry air there in the desert and bring them in and let the pitchers, the pitching coach do his work and turn them into, if he's still around. Yeah, and, and, yeah he's a little older, a <laughs> little older, yeah. uh, and, and make them into competitive pitchers. So, I mean, there's plenty of guys you can go out and spend money on and get to, to fit in with this core. And it's going to be a really easy sell. Like, hey, you've got three center fielders in the outfield behind you. If they make contact, it's fine. Just keep it in the park. Yeah, and it's not like you have to go out there and just get the Zach Greinke or the most expensive pitcher on the market. If you get like a Chris Bassett or a Taiwan Walker, those two and three guys who just help round out your rotation and just make it so much deeper and make it so much stronger because that's just the biggest issue I have with the D-backs. Like, I don't know if Brent Schaum's going to be there in a few years. I just have no confidence in the development from the pitching perspective because it seems like every top pitching prospect that comes with the D-backs minor league system, they might have a hot flash or two. They might have a good season or two, but it seems like they always end up struggling. And so I've been happy with Zach Gallon's development, but even he, like the last couple of years, just hasn't looked that same. The good thing is there's a bunch of pitchers that are kind of higher up in the minors, in the top 10, that are that are options. And so the good thing is you'll have time to figure out, because like right now in your top 10, you've got what, six pitchers? I mean, Nelson, Fat, Jamison, Henry, Sassoni, Walsh. Like you've got like six pitchers in there. You have time to figure out which one of those are going to hit and which one of those are not, and then go spend money to supplement around them. If you can get two pitch, two starting pitchers out of those six, and then you go supplement with free agents, dangerous team. And if you get more than two, if you get three or four of these guys to hit, especially one of them to hit their ceiling and be a number two for you, or you know maybe even a number one, look out yeah i'm hoping we see like the ryan nelsons or the drew jamesons like this season especially like after the trade deadline because those guys are like 26 years old it's not like they're 21 year old prospects like they're in their mid-20s they're older dudes and hopefully the d-backs can unload like a massive bum garner of someone you know for willing to pay half his contract or something like that or another Mm -hmm. veteran guy that we have in the back end of the bullpen so you can at least call up a young guy and give him a few starts so we'll see what the d-backs decide to do here at the trade deadline hopefully they call up the corbin carrolls of the world and hopefully some of these young pitchers so so lindsey crosby before we head out today any last words or thoughts for on drew jones or any of the d-backs prospects or and you know it didn't even have to be about d-backs there's any baseball feeling your spirit what are you feeling right now this is the best time of the year because everybody has either picked up some great players in the draft and they're feeling good about the future of their franchise or we're at the trade deadline and they're feeling like hey we can go get a piece or two and make a run this is one of the best times of the year right here coincidentally also the busiest time of the year separate these things a bit but um diamondbacks fans feel good about your team feel good about the direction of this organization and know you're not going to be picking in the top three for a while that's Lindsay crosby of locked on mlb prospects the youtube listeners they might know where to find you but where can the people who are just on audio list just on audio find you Lindsay? I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. My show, Locked in the Prospects, is available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Uh, and then you can find us on Twitter at Locked on Farm. If you have questions for the show, we do mailbags every Monday. Uh, send those to me, send those to the show, or just email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com. Lindsay, thanks for hopping on today, sir. And I'll catch you next time. Um.